This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. I think you'd have to literally be like living in the mountains somewhere with no sort of connection to the world. And even if you're in the mountains, you probably figured it out. You know, if you had once in a while hiked down and got Wi-Fi or something. Um, there's so much tension in the world around us right now. And I don't care how optimistic your attitude is. I don't care how, you know, hopeful you choose to live your glass half empty or half full, whatever, whatever your perspective is that you come at it, you literally have to be in another world if you don't at least sense the reality of real tension that's in the world around us. Um, Wayne mentioned it just in the announcements of the political tension that's there. And he mentioned that, and all of us um, can, can relate. I, 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 here's, what I, here's how I want to approach this today as we go into Matthew chapter 7, is I really don't look at the place in which we're in as a nation and look at the world around us and am really surprised. I'm not surprised. I mean, everybody goes around and talks about how this country is a great nation and all those kinds of things. There's a little bit of a ring like, oh, got you. Um, there's how this country is a great nation and all. And listen, there are great things that, that have happened in this country. But I think as, as a Christian, the thing that surprises me the most is that we've become more American than we have Christian. Meaning, we have more hope in what's going to happen in America and in this world than we do an understanding of what the gospel says. Do you know greater nations have fallen than ours? You realize that? And that sin so affects the world around us that the thing that surprises me is not how crazy our politics is. To me, I look at the politics in the world around us and I go, this is the inevitable fall of a prideful nation. Pride comes before a fall. We are headed towards our own fall. So why are we shocked? Why are we surprised? When we look at the racial tension that's in the world and we see all the tension that's around us, you literally have to be completely disconnected to not admit that there is tension. Now, I don't care what attitude you have towards that tension. There is racial tension in our world right now. You can come at it with whatever posture you want. You can think it's as stupid as whatever you want to call it. But it's there. And here's the reality. My problem is not that these are there. My biggest struggle has been the posture of the evangelical church in these tensions. And inside of this world, you see these postures 
that begin to arise in the racial arena, in the political arena, in all these arenas, these postures of the church that, that end up making us drive wedges deeper and deeper and deeper into the unity of the people of God, into the unity of our world around us. And there's these bigger and bigger wedges that take place. And here's what you end up seeing. You see different camps that arise. You look at the racial tension that's out there, and you have all of these people that I'll call facts people. And these facts people don't actually have facts, but they think they have the facts because they wiki-linked it or something like that. They're the facts, people. The facts are, this is the reality of it, and these people shouldn't feel this way, and this reality is the the case of it, and not everything is this, and here's the facts, and here's the facts, and here's the facts. Facts have never healed wounds, ever. Ever. And we approach it with all of these facts, and we approach it with all these lofty beliefs and knowledge, and mostly it's people who are isolated into small communities who they're only around people who agree with them, and they use Facebook because that's the only place they have any sort of voice, and they blurt out facts that are supposed to heal. Then you have people who are experienced people, people who have experienced the realities of these things, and that has shaped the way they see the world around them and all the things that are there, and they're spewing out experience, experience, experience. And the reality is every time these things take place, there's a wedge that is driven and driven and driven and driven. And instead of understanding that the way that we're approaching these tensions is not helping in the world and it's not even helping in the unity of the church. It's not a better display of the gospel. What we end up doing is sitting in our little huddles and just excited that we're right and everybody else is wrong. With the political tension is there, you can sit around and have whatever idea left or right. And I just want to make this clear right up. I'm not trying to get you to vote for anybody, whether you're left or whether you're right. But the reality is what makes me most frustrated and, 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 and should make us frustrated if you look at it is that we refuse to see how much our faith has been co-opted by our political party. And we cannot even see the good and the bad in both. And we refuse to say anything bad about our own party while we spend all of our time bashing the other party in hopes that if I ever say anything bad, we can't even have an unbiased view of both parties because we're so co-opted in. The reality of all the things that we see around us has skewed our judgment and We have to be more concerned with who we are as a church in these times because here's the calling of the church. No matter what politic we live in, no matter what tensions we live in the world, God has called us to live as citizens of his kingdom in this world to shine a light to the world around us. So no matter what world we, no matter what side of the fence we fall on, there's a greater politic that we have to live under. 
And what we've hit on is this reality in Matthew chapter 5 is when we started in the Sermon on the Mount, those are the politics of the kingdom. And this kingdom is different than the kingdoms of this world. It's the politics of the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are these people. This is the politic of the kingdom. And then chapter 5 goes through all of these. You're the salt and light of the earth and that you're going you're to lose your flesh and that, that Christ has come to fulfill the law and here's what the law is all about and here's the law of the kingdom if you will and that you, it goes deeper and deeper into the heart so all of chapter 5 shows us the values or the politic of the kingdom and we see that that kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world where there's a law that's passed down from a king down to his people this law comes from our father and the way we see him primarily is our father and our father is king and we are in his family. And that this kingdom is a family. And chapter 6 carries that theme on in this sermon, this whole thing. Even though we're breaking down each week, this is one sermon, if you will, right? The next chapter, chapter 6, shows us how we should relate to this father. All of chapter 6 talks about we should pray to him and here's how we should pray. And we should come to him from our hearts. And we shouldn't be consumed with money and all the other idols in the world around us. And those things that are trying to pull away our affections from him. But we should trust in him and he's going to care for us and he leads us. And that in this kingdom, our father cares for us in his family. We are his family and we care for him. And we, he cares for us and we pray and we come to him from our heart and that we're not going after all these other things and, 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 and having our affections taken away by other idols. So chapter 5 shows us the politic. Chapter 6 shows us how we relate to the Father. Chapter 7 is where the rubber hits the road. Chapter 7 is going to talk to us about how we should live in this family as children of this father. How we should live in this family and how we should live relating to this family and to the world around us. Here's, let's be real, right? Um, all of us thought we would be good husbands and wives until we got married. Right? All of us thought it, right? Like when I get married, this is what's going to happen. Dan and I love doing premarital counseling, not because we feel like we help those who are doing premarital, because we, it helps our marriage. We walk away and go, oh, they're so young and stupid, right? <laughs> not because they're getting married. That's not why I'm saying they're young and stupid, but because of what their expectations are. And because of how great they think they'll be. And because how quickly they'll overlook the other person's faults. And how when they get married, all they'll do is obsess over it. The reality of our beliefs about what marriage is, is so much easier to have a belief about marriage until you're married. It's the same about parenting, right? Everybody believes they're going to be the best parent and they got so many ideas about how to parent until they have kids. And then the reality of how... Uh, I remember walking around seeing kids going crazy, real crazy kids, and literally coming to my conclusion, my kids will never do that. <laughs> now I just have come to the place where it's like, someday you'll know, maybe, right? My kid's that kid. 
I look at this and I realize my beliefs are so much better in my head than they are in my practice. Everyone dreams about how good of a Christian they will be until they live inside of church community. Listen, the way you know uh, the fruit of your Christianity is not by what you think in your head or what you believe. It's in your practices. So if every church you go to, you, you, you are always in the middle of drama and then you leave saying those people, there's a common denominator, right? Uh, you are always there, right? And the reality of that is when it, you could talk all you want about forgiveness until you have to forgive somebody. You could talk all you want about repentance until you have to repent and humble yourself. You could talk all you want about, uh, about living in diversity where people of different races and tribes and tongues and, 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 and money backgrounds. You could talk all you want about reconciliation of the saints until you have to live in a diverse community where people are different than you. You can talk all you want about a biblical vision of what you desire. But until you're able to embody it and live it out, all of us in this room have opinions about how to be evangelists in our workplace and at school, and we're like, this is what evangelism really is, and none of us are living it out. If we lived out half of our evangelistic beliefs, we would make way more impact. The reality of all the things that we believe and neat little uh, uh, realities of all that we're facing is going to be tested and going to be a true testament of that when it lives out. That's why when you go through chapter 5 and you blessed are the poor in spirit and here's how, and then you talk about relating with the Father in prayer and trusting Him, this is chapter 7 where all of that heart level transformation, all those things that are true and, and purposeful and real are going to get pushed into the realities of our lives. So let's stand as we read chapter, Matthew, uh, chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to have to move quick, y'all. I got carried away a little bit. Judge not that you may not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there is a log in your, in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Don't give... Do don't, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest you trample them under feet and turn back, lest they trample them underfoot and turn back to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this verse before. According to research, the verse that was most quoted was John 3.16, for a long time, God so loved the world, everybody knew that verse. And now the most quoted verse in our generation is this, judge not. This has become the most, uh, the most quoted verse uh, in, in our generation, and there's a reason why. It has become the definition of spirituality not to judge people. That has become the definition. Now, not only has this become the most used verse what we have to say when we say it's the most used, it's the most misused and misunderstood. Everybody talks about it. Nobody fully understands what it means. 
And usually, it's not used in context to me not judging others. It's usually used by those who feel judged and want to uh, tell you, don't judge me. So even in the context in which Jesus is saying it, he's saying, you don't judge others. He's not saying, you don't judge me. He's saying, you don't judge others. We like to flip it around and say, you need to apply this first. But the reality of even what you're doing when you're telling somebody not to judge you is you're judging that they're judging and telling them not to judge. (laughs) So even in its context, it's more used for what you're doing than for what you think they're doing. And it's used in a space in which most people are using this word judge not in rejection of things that are very biblical, meaning discipline. You use this word judge not and in so doing you're rejecting good discipline that people are giving you. Or help, they're trying to help you but you say don't judge me. Or they're trying to give you wisdom and you're just saying don't judge me. And all you can do is elevate this thought in your mind that judgment is the apex. If you don't judge somebody that's the apex of spirituality rather than seeing that maybe you're rejecting something that is far more godly. Wisdom, counsel, discipline and help because you can't look at this one verse and take it out of the whole context of the of the of the chapter but even beyond that take it out of the whole context of scripture i could use so many verses Matthew chapter 18, 15 through 17 where it talks about when you see someone in, who's offended you go to them and and confront them. If not, get three witnesses. If, if that doesn't work, take them before the whole church. And if that doesn't work, kick them out and turn them over, you know. And, and that sounds very judgmental. Um, or you could go to Romans chapter 16. Or you could go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 5, and 6, where Paul starts it in, in chapter 4. He, he, he starts the whole thing saying, hey, I don't even judge myself. God's the one who judges. I don't even look at myself and judge me. You're like, see, Paul doesn't judge. He doesn't even judge himself. Well, then later in, in chapter 5, chapter 3, he says, he says that he's... Before he's even been there, he's never even been in Corinth, he's already judged a a group of people, and he uses the word judge. I've judged, even though I'm not there, I've judged this man, and he's talking about someone who's been caught in sexual immorality and has been using it for their own gain. And he's saying, I've cast judgment. Well, then later on in chapter 5, verses 12 through 13, he says, listen, if we're gonna do, we, we can't judge those who are outside, but we are supposed to judge those who are in our own family. And he uses that word judgment, that there's a good judgment, and that judgment is those who will call themselves Christians, we're supposed to judge each other. Now, that's a whole new teaching. We should judge each other. So when someone says, don't judge me, and we're both Christians, it's like, no, that's what we're supposed to do for each other. Then not only that, chapter 6 just blows your mind and sounds super deep when when, when, when he goes, listen, our place is we are going to be, as the people of God, in the end, the ones who judge the world, hear this, and we're going to judge the angels. What? (laughs) So it can't be, don't judge. And what judgment means for us is this idea that we can't have a a, a discernment. 
We can't care because here's what people do who use that verse, don't judge. They give themselves an excuse for checking out of the brokenness of the world around them and not caring about anything, anyone, or any brokenness that's in the world. Listen, that's not godly at all. To check out of the realities of the brokenness around them, to check out and not be discerning. Listen, if you don't have discernment on what's right and wrong, and you don't see the brokenness in the world around us, and you don't see that God's placed us in this world as salt and light to bring forth and bear forth his kingdom, that we are to care. So there has to be this real reality that this verse, when it says, do not judge, is not saying you shouldn't care, you should check out, you shouldn't have discernment, you shouldn't have wisdom, you shouldn't have an opinion. It obviously is not saying that. Because that is out of context to all of Scripture. What is it saying then? There is a kind of judgment that we are not, not supposed to do, even according to 1 Corinthians. And that kind of judgment is us believing that we are God and pronouncing God kind of judgment on the world. And that kind of judgment is Evil judgment. It's this pronouncing of judgment. It's this dragging into court. That's why 1 Corinthians says, don't take your brother into a court in the world for them to discern these things because the reality is you're taking them before evil judges who are only going to pronounce what they think is truth rather than bringing forth true restoration and judgment. Dragging into court and prejudging. It's this idea of pronouncing condemnation upon the world rather than being this true sense of what a judge is supposed to be. Here's what we need to understand according to this text of what real judgment is. Matthew chapter 7 shows us don't judge this way, but here's the way we should judge. And then he goes into, why, don't you, why do you see so clearly the speck in your brother's eye and then don't even notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye and when you don't even see the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. Now I want you to look with me real quick to Galatians chapter 6. And then I'm going to make some observations and we're going to pray. Galatians 6 says this. Brothers, verse 1. If anyone is caught in any in transgression, you who are spiritual. There's that word spiritual. Should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he is deceived. But let each one test his own works. And then the reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Here's what I want you to notice. Here is what true judgment is. According to Matthew 7, according to Galatians 6, according to 1 Corinthians, according to Matthew. You, uh, 18 there's so many scriptures true judgment right judgment versus bad judgment or evil judgment is rooted in four things I'll, I'll give you those four things you should write them down first is it's rooted in perspective perspective here's what you have to admit if you're going to be a good judge you have to admit your own biasness 
and that you are shaped by your own bias and your own opinion. You all have a log in your eye. Galatians 6 says it this way, if you see someone who is trapped in sin, those who are spiritual should not check out and say, oh, I'm not going to help them. No, those who are spiritual are going to restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness. And what are they going to do? They're going to keep watch on themselves lest they be tempted. The only way you can truly be the right kind of judge is if you have the right perspective. And the only way you can have the right perspective is by seeing other people's sin through the bigness of the log in your own eye. Through the reality of all that you have and all the brokenness and sin with us, those who are spiritual are going to look at their own lives and self-examine and they're going to look at themselves because what they're really wanting is not for their opinion to be put forward. What they're really wanting is to restore and to help and to bring healing. Listen, we have to, if we're really going to be good judges in this world, we have to have this heart where we have the right perspective. That's why I think it is so just anti-gospel when people say they are Christians and sit up in their high towers and don't even realize that they've been shaped by their privilege, they've been shaped by their own realities, they've been shaped by their own biases and opinions, we've been shaped by all of these things and we formulate it and we spout it out like it's the Christian thing. Rather than realizing all of our lives there are things that we have done. There are biases we have had. There's sins within us. There's brokenness in us. And what it does is when we see the log in our own eye, it helps us to see clearly the things that are in there. It gives us right perspective. Because here's what happens in an evil judge. They look out to the world around them and they use the brokenness of the world to excuse their own brokenness. You see this happen a lot. People who look out at the world around them and can't even declare true statements because if they do declare a true statement, it will, uh, it will go against their very true statement. Let me give, the, against their own, their own stand that they're making. Let me give you an example. In all the racial tension, there's a whole group of people who can't utter the words black lives matter because if they say black lives matter, what they're saying is, in their minds, I'm supporting a whole agenda and all these things. And if I do that, I can't, so I can't say, like it's anti-gospel to say that black lives do matter. We should be the first ones to declare that black lives matter. Why? Because... Why? Because they matter. They're created in the image and likeness of God. And we go, well, if I say that, well, then it's going to get me off my platform. That means we've been co-opted into a platform. I'm not saying we support an agenda. I'm not saying we got, I'm saying we could say, we could say with confidence that lives matter. We should be the first and the loudest. And when you see these kinds of realities, it means we've been shaped more by our biases and opinions rather than the gospel. We should see clearly 
through the eyes and a perspective. This helps us even as we're dealing with individuals who are in broken places. When people come to me and go, man, I, I, I got so much going on in my life and so many things. The reason why they're going to come to me as a pastor is not so I can tell them, well, here's how you've screwed up in all of your areas and this is just messing. No, they're coming because they know that I can see, like, if it wasn't for God's grace, I could be in that very situation. I'm not better than those people. I'm not elevated above them. It's not that they fall into some, I could be there. That actually makes me helpful. You see, what many of us think is that we're not helpful until everything's perfect in our life. No. Self-awareness is what makes us helpful. It's the very reality of our own brokenness, the repentance of sin, the ongoing things around us, and seeing uh, the mixture and the bias and trying to filter through that. And I know that's a very difficult place to be, especially in the world around us. Where we get so into these arenas where we don't even realize our own biases. We see that in in relationships in the church, in politics, in race. You see that all around where we can't even acknowledge good things in another party. Because if we acknowledge good things in another party, or we can't even acknowledge bad things in our party. Why? Because if we do, we're talking bad about our own part. We are so gracious towards our own biases and so damning to those who don't agree with us. Why? Because that's evil judgment. That's the kind of judgment where we don't have true perspective and our approach is off. Look at the next thing. When you have right perspective, you have right approach. That means... Evil judgment, people are too harsh, they pronounce damnation, and they're critical of everyone else. And that form, that form right there equals you are no help to anyone. You are harsh, you are damning, you're critical, and you have no help. And that's why Galatians says, if you're going to be spiritual, here's what it is. You have a spirit of gentleness in which Seize the tension and the brokenness around and you approach it with humility and gentleness. And you're coming into into those situations not to try and disrupt more, but to try to bring healing. You see someone who is in brokenness. You see someone who's caught in transgressions. And your posture is not, I'm better than you and you're destroying your life. Your posture is, brother... I could be in that place. I could fall into that same. Listen to me. I've, I've, I, I know the log that's in my own eye. You're headed down a path towards des- destruction. Let me help you. Let me bear this load with you. Your approach is gentleness, and your approach is let me help you carry this. True, godly judge is not just making pronouncements of judgment, they are carrying the load. Of the sin. Their approach is different. Their attitude is different. Look at what takes place in Matthew 7 and in Galatians 6. You see the attitude is one of patience, gentleness, self-examination, and nothing seems too big for God. 
And it also does not give us an excuse to check out. See, right? As soon as it gets too hard for many of us and as too many people start disagreeing with us and too many people don't want to listen to us and all the counsel we give, I told them what to do and they never do it. And too many people try to, you know, we try to help them out of their problems. We try to get too many people reject us. What do we do? Fine. I'm just checking out. I'm not helping anyone. I'm just going to stay quiet and just keep my opinions to myself. (laughs) Why? Because we're not patient. We're not gentle. We're not wanting to carry the And now it's starting to seem too big and we want comfort rather than spiritual living. Our attitude changes and our posture changes. And here's where the posture comes in. When I am able to deal with the reality of self-examining, seeing the log that's in my own eye, seeing the brokenness in my own life, seeing my biases and, and seeing the reality of how the gospel breaks those things down, and what ends up happening is you can see clearly, as, as, as Matthew 7 says, you can see clearly to help remove the speck in the other person's eye. You can see clearly. What else does it say in Galatians 6? You know that they have to bear their own load. I love what Galatians 6 says, and I hope you can highlight this because it says, but le- let each one test his own work. For this reason, they will boast in themselves alone and not in his neighbor, for each one has to bear his own load. And that seems contradictory when it says you need to help them bear their burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And at the same time, you need to know you can't do it for them. They have to be involved. That makes it frustrating because many of us want to come in, rescue, fix, and then get the glory for it. Where this text says the posture of a true judge is one who wants to come in restoratively and help them with their participation. And that's why Matthew 7 says, don't put your pearls before swine and don't give what is holy to dogs. That's why it's saying you can't just throw out and spew out your right judgments in front of people who do not want to even receive them. We're so consumed with being heard and being right, we could care less who we're actually giving it to, right? That even knowing when not to say something because it's not about you being right, it's about restoring that we even have to discern whether these people really want to hear, whether they're really going to, that we are wasting so much of our time because we're not using wisdom in giving our judgments. The posture of this kind of judge is hard. It's tense, and it requires a few things. We're going to write these things down and then I'm going to pray for you because I know that this message creates more tension than it does help. But I want you to hear what John Stott said. He says this. The command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Jesus does not tell us to cease to be men, but to renounce presumptuous ambition to be God. You see, the reality is saying don't judge doesn't mean you should be blind and not see things that are around you. 
you have to be dumb to not see the things that are around you, right? You have to be literally forcing yourself to close your eyes and bury your head in the sand. You have to live in this reality where you don't even care about the world around you. In order for you to not judge, it's not this reality of me being blind and checked out, but it's also fighting the desire for you to be God and for you to pronounce judgment over the world, right? The beauty of this text is that here's what he's saying. This is the kind of judgment you shouldn't do. You're not the father. You're not the dad. You're not, again, I, I have to do this all the time with my kids, and if you have kids, you know that, like, there's always one kid who gets this paternal instinct and wants to discipline all the rest of their brothers and sisters, right? And there's many conversations I have. Listen, you're right in correcting them, but I'm the dad. You, you get what I'm saying? I'm the dad. I'm the mom. You have no discipline power at all over them, right? We have to see that in this text, our heavenly father is saying, you get to be a brother, not the dad. You get to be the sister, not the dad. You don't get to pronounce uh, condemnation and death. You don't know the hearts. You don't even know their bias. You don't know the whole situation. You don't know everything that's there. But you get to be brother. And here's what a brother gets to do. He gets to care about the person. He gets to care about their hearts. He gets to enter in and bear their load. And he gets to deal with the reality of going, listen, I want to see you healed. And I want to see you walking in the way in which you should walk. The kind of judges we should be are the kinds in which are restorative and not pronouncing condemnation and death. See, the big battle is when we come into these places of having judgmental hearts is it goes against this very reality. It's not that we don't have opinions. It's that we need to fight the desire to be God and to do His job. Because it goes against the very nature of our Father to judge that way. It goes against the very nature of our Father to pronounce condemnation and to destroy the world in which is sinned against Him. He's done perfect and right and good things, and it goes against His very heart to destroy the world in which he has created and loved, in which he has made his family. And it goes against his very heart that even this judge who we say is our father, who could destroy all things, approached his world, his family, far different than that. This God sent his very own son not to be our accuser, but to be our advocate. And not to bring death upon us but to take upon himself the tree the log to bear the whole weight of all of our sins to take and and to die for our sins so that in his death he could bring to us true life and true hope and true restoration with the father and the price that he paid at his own cost was not pronouncing of judgment upon us, was a giving of grace that we did not deserve.
was a giving of grace that we, by all respects, could not have purchased or bought for ourselves. This judge didn't just sit behind the desk and pronounce judgment upon the world. He entered into the world and took on flesh and dwelt among us and came in gently as a baby. This judge modeled for us what right judgment is. And church, I know how hard it is when you see the tension in your family, when you see the tension in your church, when you see the tension in your community, when you see the tension in your work, it's hard to live in those places of tension without trying to back away and just sit behind your desk and pronounce judgment. It's much more difficult to be a right kind of judge who is a brother who enters in and knows that I want to serve, I want to be gentle, I want to bring the gospel to bear. Sometimes it means I have to be, I, I, I have to speak up, and sometimes it means I have to be quiet, and other times it means that I have to back away because I'm trying to help them, but they don't want to, they don't want to be involved with it. Sometimes it means I, I, I have to be quiet, and sometimes it means I have to make a post, and sometimes it means this, and sometimes it means, and it's so much more difficult to have to realize in order for me to walk in this way, I have to keep my eyes fixed upon Christ. Christ. I have to keep my eyes fixed upon his word. I have to stay in prayer. I have to ask for his spirit. I have to walk with wisdom. I have to be as harmless as a dove. I have to walk in these ways and this is far more the spirit-led life than just a knowing what's true. Church, we need to be fed by this if we're going to live in this way. We need to be fed by his body and blood to know this is grace. This is his paying of our debts. Some of us in this room have families that are broken and we're wondering how are these things going to be fixed and we're having a hard time not losing hope. And we've already cast judgment on those around us and we've already alienated ourselves from those who do. I pray today that you run to Jesus and ask him for help and softening of your heart and that you would deal with the log in your own eye because you've been spending so much time obsessing about the speck in theirs. Some of you have been sitting in fear and isolation from your community and the people around you because you think everybody else is wrong and nobody else gets you and nobody else is surrounding you like they think. The reality is, this is not for you to push onto others. This is for you to come to Jesus and ask him where your heart is at and for you to see where you have alienated and where you have judged and where you have flipped it around. Some of you are living in fear in our nation right now because you're seeing the inevitable problems and the tensions that are around us and you're trying to fix it through Facebook or social media. And all you're doing is getting more and more frustrated and you're not diving into real gospel intentionality and serving and loving other people. And all you're doing is you're getting overwhelmed by all the things that are around us. And all you have is opinions and judgments. Run to Jesus. And ask him for wisdom by how you should in 
embed yourself on how you should serve those around you and how you should treat those who are on the margins and how you should treat those who are in politics and how you should posture yourself. Run to Jesus because right now it is through these kinds of places in which the church could show forth the light of the gospel in true ways. That our heart is not to bring condemnation to this world to bring grace, love, and truth. Come to the table hungry. Come to the table asking. Come to the table evaluating the very log in your own eye and seeing that it is by His grace that you will be able to walk rightly before Him. Church, let's make this a time of prayer and worship, evaluation, and communion with God. Let's respond. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.